The Incomparable, number 471, July 2019. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. This episode is about Veronica Mars, a beloved TV show from the past. Uh, That is, it's timely, you see, because it's just returned for a fourth season on Hulu. We're not going to talk about the fourth season. That's another podcast for another time, and I haven't seen it. Uh, But we are going to talk about the appeal of this show that premiered in 2004 and keeps coming back for more it was it did three seasons it was kickstarted into a movie the high school reunion movie and then an eight episode fourth season on hulu in 2019 um lots of things to talk about about the appeal of veronica mars as a uh, as a program as a concept whatever else we want to do with it joining me to talk about the uh spunky girl detective from neptune california are the following people aline sims hello hello nathan alderman howdy and quinn rose hello hello jason i'm just here to annoy like the wind uh, you know at one point i was going to attempt an intro that was sort of uh one of those world weary veronica mars voiceovers but I, I didn't. I could. I, I wasn't going to do that. Um, but what's great about this show is it's, you know, its commitment to being a noir detective series, except you know, at the beach with a petite blonde teenage detective. But still, you know, it's it's the you know Nancy Drew Hardy Boys m- remix via film noir and i i feel like in watching it again i was reminded that that was in many ways the thing that i loved about the show the most is that it took all of those parts and assembled it together into this modern uh you know essentially cw although it was it started on on uh, on upn uh uh film noir teen film noir kind of thing it's a it's a it's a fun idea by rob thomas the creator of the show in a lot of ways, it's kind of like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, except with noir tropes instead of supernatural tropes, right down to the characters. I mean, you've got the tiny blonde who's wrestling between wanting to pursue a normal life and having this very dangerous destiny that she's really good at. Her father figure who is trying to both mentor her and protect her, her platonic male best friend, uh, her computer genius best girl pal, uh, the... the uh, upper crust girl at her school who turns out to be secretly nice and a, and a good friend. Don't forget the 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 other teacher at the high school who um, suddenly disappears. Oh, yes. <laughs> she was so good. And the dueling boyfriends, one of whom ha- uh, is forehead intensive and broody and has a dark side, and there's possibly good reasons why she shouldn't sleep with him. And the other who's a snarky bad boy with frosted tips, uh, a mild case of psychosis and a heart of gold. When you lay it all See, like for that, a second, it's... I had a hard time telling which one you were describing with that with the furrowed brow thing it's true i think there there are there are definitely uh some similarities there this is uh, apparently rob thomas was writing a young adult novel and then decided to make it a tv show instead which is interesting and of course it 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 also helped give the world tv uh, america's sweetheart Kristen bell who is uh veronica mars here and who's gone on to do many other things including the wonderful the good place that she's on now and uh so much fun to see little young Kristen bell when i revisited season one of veronica mars um you know because she's great now but she was great then too is like to find somebody who's got the the ability to carry off the noir detective uh <laughs> voiceovers is, is uh is quite a thing and she's 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 great. I mean, really, this show doesn't work without her, I think, just because she's so good. Oh, she is pitch perfect. Like, it, it, I, I, obviously, like, she's an amazing actress and she does tons of great stuff since. But I, this, I think, was my first real introduction to Kristen Bell was watching this show, as I'm sure with many people's, because it's sort of her first big thing. Um, and I still think that she is that that her humor her sarcasm but also just like when she has the more emotional scenes it's absolutely gut-wrenching and she's able to move between those so easily yeah the um one of the things i've i didn't remember i want to say i didn't notice before but i don't think that's true i think it's i didn't remember because i haven't really watched the show since it was on um is i'm not surprised that this was started as a, a novel because I'd say more than most shows, it's got very smart and funny 
lines of dialogue that are simply dropped in the show and then continue, especially in the voiceovers that are like, as a reader of a novel, you would read them and you would be like, oh, that's so good. But as a voiceover, the characters just keep on talking. And I would, I was pausing the show while I was watching this as a rewatch and just thinking that was so good. Like those lines are so cutting or so funny, generally given by Kristen Bell and on TV. I don't know. I, I think I have an expectation on TV that the dialogue is a little more disposable. And yet some of the stuff here is so well constructed. I was very impressed by the writing of it. And then, of course, the delivery by Kristen Bell, because she's got, uh, you know, she's just a she's just a I mean, she's not a cheerleader by any account, but she's a perky high school girl who's and then it's like, nope, <laughs> she is she is savage and cutting in uh, so many ways. It's great. She will cut you emotionally and physically. <laughs> and then she will tase you. Yeah. And then <laughs> if that's not enough, if you if you break into her car, you will be mauled by backup. The dog, a dog that exists for one joke and then just remains a character in the show after that. Be sure to bring backup. He's a dog. It's a good joke. Yeah, it's a great joke. And then what but what I love about it is then they're like, oh, I guess she has a dog now. Okay. Did you feed back up? Right? Like now it's just there. It's just part of the part of the thing. Okay, speaking back up. Here's my other thing that I want to mention. Then we're we're just kinda like we're not even talking about what happens in the show yet. Just uh just just laying it out there for people who love the show or remember the show, who think about doing a rewatch. Maybe you've heard about the show, but you've never actually seen it, and you can go back to it and stream it and watch it now on Hulu, because all the episodes are streaming. The the real core of this show. You know, when it was on, there was a whole lot of relationship stuff that we can talk about, about the the two suitors that Nathan alluded to. You got your, uh, you got your, your uh, Logan, who's a, a bad boy. You got your Duncan, who's got some serious emotional problems and family problems. Um, who, who will she choose? The most important relationship, and there's, and there, there's Wallace and there's, there's Mac, her, her friends. By far, the thing that makes the show works, and I think, and the most important relationship in the show, is the relationship between Veronica and her dad, Keith Mars, played mm-hmm. by the wonderful Enrico Colantoni. And I could not, every time Veronica and her dad are on screen, I was completely captured and reminded of why I love this show. Cause I think honestly at the heart of it, I would be happy if this show was just about Veronica and her dad and that the crimes were not even seen because they're so great. That father daughter relationship is so great. I totally and completely agree. It's just, and they're, they're so good together. It seems like they've got a real affection for each other and um, there's a lot kind of throughout the series and especially in the first season of her kind of really screwing up and him being like, what were, what, what were you doing? Why were you doing that? But it's never like, it never gets like mean or heated or, or anything like that. It just seems like a really healthy relationship of like, um, not just like father and daughter, but just like two people who really like and appreciate one another and play off of each other really well. Yeah, the the early aughts were were a great time for like famously awesome TV dads. I mean, between Jack Bristow on Alias and Jack Bauer on Twenty Four, but for my money, the toughest TV dad of the two thousands and maybe of all time is Keith Mars. He's so unassuming. He's so, you know, kind of doughy and down at the heels. And when push comes to shove, he will set himself on fire to rescue his daughter. And (laughs) And that happens. And I feel like there's so much showing in in TV shows where it's like when you have the teenagers off on adventures and the parents either like they don't know anything or they're openly antagonistic and there are like there's back and forth in this show of like he gets mad at her if he feels like she's unnecessarily put herself in danger but for the most part like she's very welcome into these spaces he knows and respects how smart she is and how good she is at the whole detective business and that he actually like includes her in even really serious adult stuff that's going on around the the case and their lives and everything, which I think is the kind of dynamic dynamic that you don't really see on TV very often. 
And yeah, I mean, it, there's there's one point where he actually like gives up on being like Veronica. You have to stay out of this case, and he like accepts that she is going to pursue this no matter what, and just says, "You have to be more careful." Now here's everything I know. Yeah, let's Hand, go over it. Together. Hands her the case file. Yeah, although even then he pursues a lead and doesn't tell her. Uh, which happens repeatedly that they, they they both love each other. They both have some respect for each other. But what happens is I think they're both trying to protect the other one. And so they will withhold information from one another for no other reason than it's either, you know, he doesn't want to expose Veronica to it. That happens a lot. Or she doesn't want him to know that she's doing more than he wants her to do because he's trying to protect her. And the the dynamic. So. One of the things that I think is so clever about how this show starts is it starts with Keith Mars being a private eye and his daughter being his his, you know, perky assistant. Right. It is right out of a Nancy Drew book or something like that or a Hardy Boys book. It feels very much like that kind of a thing. Uh, what we learn is that in season one is that her best friend uh, was murdered and that he was the elected sheriff of the county. And in his pursuit of the murderer, got on the wrong side of powerful rich people and got voted out of office. And so then it, it adds that whole other dimension of Keith being down on, down on his luck. The mom has split. Um, she's gone to parts unknown. She comes back later in the first season, uh, but she's gone to parts unknown. Uh, so they're they're dealing w- as a family with trauma and his trauma of uh, being voted out of office and accusing the rich people of being involved in the murder. And that reflects on Veronica standing at school where she is now a pariah. And like that's all in the mix here, too. So it's e- not even as simple as, oh, my dad is a is a detective. It's my dad is kind of disgraced, kind of down on his luck, but has a heart of gold and I'm helping him out because everybody hates me too. It's like, it's, it's just so many other layers that, that make that relationship dynamic even more powerful. Um, Plus the fact that he blames himself for all of those failings. He blames himself for the mom not being there anymore. He... He, Keith puts a lot of guilt on himself that Veronica doesn't really want to put on him. It, it's just that that's part of what I really love about it, watching it now. And I watch it now as somebody who is very definitely closer to Keith than Veronica in terms of my life. Right. And I don't and I didn't look at this quite the same way in uh, 2004, you know, when my when I had a daughter, but she was three right like now i look at this as keith mars and i am amazed at the the levels of that performance of his his guilt and his self-loathing and how many times in season one does he break up with it's at least two where he breaks up with a woman because she's going to her presence around veronica will upset veronica and that's enough to break up his relationships it's just it's what a what a what a character and what a dynamic there's also that amazing line from the pilot, tonight we eat like the middle, the lower middle class to, to which we aspire. Um, yep. Yeah, this show gets in your face about class in a way that I really hadn't seen any television show do at the time. And I really don't think anything out of, outside of David Simon's work really does. Um, I mean, the, the one exception I can think of now, uh, a decade and a half later, is One Day at a Time on Netflix. But this show really goes deep. It, it's not just Veronica's poor. It's Veronica is a cog in this whole system that is designed to keep the rich rich and powerful, keep the poor poor and stepped on. And it's a really interesting and explicitly political message, even though it's always just simmering in the background. Well, income inequality is a phrase that gets bandied about a lot now. But Neptune in Veronica Mars is in many ways a story of income inequality. And I like to think, too, as a teen drama on the CW or UPN, that it's also making a comment about how so many of the shows that we watch, especially teen dramas, are beautiful, well-dressed, wealthy teenagers and adults. And Veronica Mars is trying to say... Uh, those people are there. Yes, this is a, a UPN or CW show about this, but there really are the two disparate groups in Neptune, the haves and the have-nots. And Veronica was already kind of just aspiring to be part of them, and she was ejected and is now basically 
um, living down that she's she's back in the in the other group right down to their zip code right that's part of the that's part of the story here is there's the 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 O Niners which are the uh, from the rich zip code yeah this show is really interested not only in those rich kids and their nice houses but in the kids of the people who clean those houses who deliver the pizzas. Uh, and that's that's an interesting focus that you don't see in a lot of shows. And the other thing is it doesn't it's not glamorizing the wealth, you know, in, in a lot of ways. Yeah, Veronica aspires to that. Her best friend comes is an O-Niner. You know, her boyfriend is an O-Niner and she wants to be that until she realizes or until all of this stuff happens with her father. And she's like, oh, maybe this isn't as great as it's as I initially thought it was like uh, we get so much TV that's like oh yes you'll be rich and famous and carefree Mm. and this show is like well maybe you know maybe it's not all great and that's kind of refreshing yeah I mean the something like uh like Logan Eccles like his his dad is a famous actor and played by Harry Hamlin I have a limited supply of pity for the poor little rich boy who's just acting out and Logan is not a particularly sorry people who love Logan. Um, he's not a particularly endearing character. He's a jerk. Uh, he's got a little bit of a like potential, but he's a jerk. And Veronica's Veronica's uh, boyfriend choices are not, not the greatest um, to be, to, to be blunt. They're not, it's not, not like either of them in season one, especially is particularly great. Um, but I do have at least a little bit of pity that the show is trying to say, yeah, yeah, Logan screwed up, but look why he screwed up. Like they've got all this money, but his parent, his, his father doesn't even know his birthday, right? Like it is, it is sort of sad and pathetic. Um, uh, yeah, I mean the show, uh, does the show engage with the income disparity on uh in neptune in a realistic way i would say no um you know what we get is a lot of shorthand and a lot of kind of cliche i mean it's a film noir uh, riff so the cliches are understandable that's kind of part of the point but but still like what you get is oh well you're either you either have a giant house and a famous movie star parent or you're weevil and you wear a leather jacket and you're in a biker gang and those are really your choices which is like mm, yeah okay that is that's it's a bit much but i i feel like it is better than many other shows at trying to show this divide between the haves and the have-nots and it goes beyond high school right it's not just the popular and not popular in high school it is the entire community and you know Keith, when he had power, was uh, being accepted by the the swells of the community. But the moment that he double-crossed them, he was laid as low as possible. All right, let me take a break from Veronica Mars for a moment and tell you about our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by ButcherBox. This is a service that I use. I pay for it. I love it. If you are a meat eater, there is no better way to quickly, easily, without even leaving the house, have uh, complete freedom to choose what you want to have on a day-to-day basis from right out of your freezer. It's pretty great. ButcherBox delivers thoughtfully sourced meat directly to your door. That Right now, they're offering juicy, grill-ready, 100% grass-fed beef burgers for free. I'll tell you more about that in a moment. Very easy to get high-quality meat that you can trust. Every month, they'll deliver 100% grass-fed and grass-finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage-breed pork, and wild Alaskan salmon. Here's how it works. Each butcher box comes with at least 9 to 11 pounds of meat, enough for 24 individual meals. You can choose from four different box types, including the custom box, which is what I have. You just literally choose exactly how much of whatever it is you need. ButcherBox believes in a healthier food system where everyone has access to meat that's humanely raised, free of antibiotics and added hormones. And because ButcherBox works with a collection of ranches, they're able to cut out the uh, grocery store middleman and pass those savings on to you. Like I said, I get ButcherBox custom boxes uh, with chicken and beef in them. They are great, uh, super high quality. They come in a box packed with dry ice. And so even in the middle of summer on a hot day, the meat is hard frozen, so it goes straight into the freezer, thawing it out super easy. You can either put it in the fridge for a little while or do what I do, use an immersion cooker, basically a sous vide machine set with no heat, and uh, you put the meat in there and it thaws in no time, and then you can cook it up any way you like. 
So you're going to be ready for the barbecue with this offer. $20 off your first box, six burgers for free in every box all summer long until October 15th. Just go to butcherbox.com slash Snell or enter the code Snell at checkout. Check it out. Butcherbox.com slash Snell or promo code Snell for $20 off your first box and six burgers free until the middle of October. Thank you to Butcherbox for supporting the incomparable and filling my freezer. So Aline, before we started, you said something you want to dive into it now it could have been better with race (laughs) yeah i mean it's a show set in basically in san diego in southern california and you know the 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 presentation of of the hispanic characters especially is like again i appreciate that there's some attempt but it is a minimal attempt and 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 Wallace is there as a you've got an African American character too, but like Weevil is a great example where what the 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 Hispanic characters in in Veronica, Veronica Mars are essentially like the biker gang, and yeah. it's like that's not what San Diego is like. Yeah, and I, okay, I two major questions about this, not for, for anyone particularly here, just like the creators of Veronica Mars, which is one, why is there. A biker gang that's led by a seventeen. Are biker gangs usually led by seventeen-year-olds <laughs> still in student. high school? This is so confusing yeah. to me. But also, too, why did you do this? Why did you have an entirely Hispanic biker gang that all the Hispanic kids are in the biker gang, and um, there, there there are no other ones in the school, and there are definitely no other pe- people of other any other race in the biker gang? And I'm like, what is what is it? Who what? <laughs> yeah, it's not. I mean. I have a hard time believing that this show would be made in this way today, but you know, who knows? But I, I feel like it's trying to say some things about this, but at the same time, and I don't know whether this was decisions on the producer's part or whether this is part and parcel of being on UPN in, in 2004, but yeah, that's, that's, we get our, uh, we get our, our uh, diversity in the cast through Weevil and the, other members of his um latino biker gang as it's as it's phrased on the wikipedia page is like yeah you're right it's not it's not the strongest part of it i mean weevil is great because i love weevil weevil is great because weevil is that character is designed to be everything you expect him to be as a as a cliche and he keeps i find he keeps subverting it he keeps he's always more than you expect but at the end, he is still based in this fundamental cliche of that. And especially for something set in Southern California and set in San Diego, like that, it, it is not an area where there's just sort of like there's white people and then a biker gang. That's not how that works. Yeah. And so on the one hand, it's the, the OK, the racism. We know the racism. Um, on the other hand, I do think that with his character and what they do through seasons two and three and in the movie is it does illustrate that like, it's hard to get out of a gang. Like once you're in a gang, it's hard to get out of a gang, which is like, I I don't know. I don't know what happens to older people (laughs) in in this game as has been stated, but um, I do appreciate that they, that they show that, that that is demonstrated, but um. Yeah, just just some odd choices about about race. But I love Weevil is one of my favorite characters. I think that he is he's like this chaotic, neutral figure, um, right? Like he he's he'll do what he thinks is right, no matter what. And um, sometimes that's doing what Veronica, who is like who we're seeing the world through, thinks is the right thing. And sometimes it's not. And I appreciate that. I mean, Veronica is also kind of a chaotic, neutral character, too, where she's <laughs> just like, you know, sometimes we got to throw a little chaos into this to bring our own vigilante justice to the table. There's that moment where she uh, withholds the information about the uh, she's got the guy who's taken the fall for the murder. She he's found she's found her his uh, his daughter who's getting paid off by the Kane family in what she thinks is uh, related to the murder and neglects to tell her that her father is dying because it will make her less inclined to help her. And that's one of those moments of like, mm. Veronica and she she makes bad decisions and pays for it in the show that's that happens which is good yeah I, I like that Veronica all the characters are are never clear-cut good or evil um 
like even Aaron Eccles, who, you know, the show will go startlingly dark on a dime. And so Aaron Eccles, you know, one moment he's the, the angry dad and the next he is having Logan pick out a belt with which he will beat Logan. Uh, and it's all so subtle and it's not played up. It's not, there's no dramatic sting of music, but you know, something awful is about to go down. But even he is shown protecting his daughter, trying to reach out, trying to be a good parent. Uh, even he gets that little detail that his father was abusive. Um, you know, Sheriff Lamb uh, is the same creep who who brushes off Veronica's uh, report that she's been raped. But even he, in some episodes, is shown to genuinely care about doing his job mm-hmm. and doing it well. I love that you can't peg with a few exceptions, you can't really peg any character on a moral spectrum in the series, and especially Veronica. Uh, she's She's got huge blind spots. She has a unquenchable thirst for vengeance that is not always healthy. And I really like seeing a genuinely likable, genu- genuinely root-forable, but deeply flawed human being as the protagonist. Yeah, when I was watching this again, I haven't seen the show in in many years. And then I was wondering how like my experience of it would be different, sort of watching it as an adult for the first time, really. And I I think I felt the same way about it for most of the stuff. There were a couple of things. And one of them is that a subplot of this like just one of one of the many things that Veronica does in the first season is uh break into someone else's medical records to find out their (laughs) mental health condition and it's a horrific i'm like what is happening on this show yeah yeah Yeah. and it's i mean so film noir one of the things i like about about film noir as a as a structure for these noir detective uh, stories is the detectives are damaged they're like messed up people and they make terrible decisions at great personal cost and this show does not hide from that and veronica yeah veronica makes all sorts of bad decisions and makes bad assumptions about people and does really questionable things she gets you know she lets her friend wallace risk getting um expelled from school to look things up on the computer she she almost gets wallace's mom fired by having wallace plant a bug in her office like uh you know just justice for wallace in this show honestly yeah yeah well so we should talk about the the other characters since since we're there um uh, wallace obviously is her buddy um there's a nice scene late in the in the series where veronica is um is broken down and really emotional and upset and um she just goes over to wallace's house and there's like not even any anything said she's just like crying in the car and she comes in and it's very clear that that she's she just needed somewhere to go and somebody to listen to her or maybe even not say anything and just let her be emotional because she needs to do that in a in a safe place and i that i thought was really nice that that like she's got wallace as a as a confidant um and then we also I, I mentioned Weevil. There's Mac, who is the Willow Rosenberg analog from Buffy. She's your uh, she's your your computer helper person. Um, and then there are the 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 boys. Um, you know the the they're they're out there too. Who who don't again? So many people were invested in their relationships, and it's like mm, these guys they're no good. <laughs> Neither of them is yeah. very good. Duncan is boring, and Logan is a psychopath who desperately needs therapy and I'm happy to report by by the fourth season he gets it. Yeah, it's it's uh Duncan who reminds me okay, a little sidelight. Duncan Kane um reminds me the actor reminds me so much of one of the guys in Supernatural, but it's not him. He's like the lost brother from Supernatural. <laughs> um and I think he's gone on to I think he went left acting and is like a lawyer or something like that. Yeah, and, he is. And then Logan is, you know, he's your bad boy. Oh, he's so dreamy, but he's so bad and and it goes back and forth and every time that Veronica feels like she can trust him, then she learns some other fact about how she can't trust him. But um as Christina Warren who wanted to be here and wasn't able to uh put it, Veronica deserved better than Duncan or Logan. Yeah. <laughs> and I yeah, I I wholeheartedly uh, agree with that. By the way, uh, Supernatural aside, how long has Supernatural been on the air? Supernatural was on the same network as Veronica Mars at the same time. Oh my God. For two years, season two and season three of Veronica Mars coincide with season one and season two of Supernatural, which is still on the air now. 
It's ending, though. It's ending with this coming season. I hear that one of the final episodes, one of the brothers breaks a hip because he's <laughs> elderly, you see. Anyway, um, so, so yeah, the, those, the, I, the boys don't do a lot for me. I, I, I did a lot of eye rolling. Um, also, Duncan's character is super weird in season one, especially because he's got emotional problems that are part of the plot, um, where he jumps off of, a, off of some bleachers at one point, and he's got like pills he's supposed to be taking, and he has strange outbursts that are apparently part of a medical condition that he's got. Um, and then, yeah, and then Logan's just a, a, a jerk which is, that's 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 what he is. I will say Jason Doring, uh, his performance is great. He's got great chemistry with Kristen Bell. The way he delivers Logan's lines with that, you know, so much acrid self-loathing is really terrific. He's funny. He's got great comic timing. I see why they saw that and they thought, well, we got to put Veronica and Logan together. The problem was that they did not write a character who justified it. He's so evil in the pilot and then mm-hmm. it, it's impossible for him to come back from that as quickly as he does to where he's like making puppy dog eyes at Veronica and being like, all I want to do is protect you. I mean, high school is a strange time, though. It's just a really strange time. It, it, it does feel I, I'm with I, I'm with Nathan. I feel like the producer saw the chemistry between the actors and said, oh, this is interesting. Let's do something with this. That's not really borne out by the characters. <laughs> especially by Logan's character. I, I, that's that's how it always felt to me, was that they realized that the actors had some interesting chemistry, and they're like, oh, let's rewrite this. Let's make Logan less terrible. Like, did you, though, really? I feel like with these two boys, it's like, I, want, I think that going in, they were like, we're going to make Duncan mysterious, but instead they gave him the personality of a paper bag, mm-hmm. and that didn't really work. <laughs> And then they were like, oh, well, let's bring Duncan more in. And like, he did get more interesting the second half of the season, but it was far too late. And he, ne- he never enough um, to ever be like truly interesting to me. Yeah. Um, and then with, <laughs> here's my thing with Logan is I, as I mentioned before, like this is my first rewatch in a while. And I was like, I, I bet that like watching it again, I'll really hate Logan. And I was watching it and I was like, he's such an asshole. Like, oh my God. But then like, it still it still gets me like I still really care about them at the end of the season and I'm like but and I totally agree that the characterization doesn't deserve that like he's horrible at the beginning of the season and at the end he's like totally in love with Veronica and there's not a clear line between those two points but in the episodes in which he's really devoted to Veronica I do love them even though yeah. I know it's not the Logical. quote unquote healthiest relationship they're still so good together. Yep, it's true. Um, I want to mention another character in season one, who is Lily, who is murdered yes. before the show starts, and is the mystery. She's she's your Laura Palmer to drag in another TV analog for Twin Peaks. Um, the big difference is we see a lot of Lily in flashback and on videos and things like that. Um, and this is Amanda Seyfried, uh, who has gone on to do lots and lots and lots of other things. Um, and she's great. In fact, she's so good, apparently, that Rob Thomas realized that they, he wanted to make more Lily Kane flashbacks because uh, it w- it's really good. But it's so interesting. She does a good job. You get the sense uh, sort of in hindsight who this character was and um, why people were attracted to her and it's also fascinating to see the social dynamic when she was alive because veronica back then is not as not as damaged and is having a good time living her best life with the rich kids and it's such a contrast to where veronica is when we meet her so uh shout out to lily kane justice for lily etc it's also really interesting because we see lily like a lot of what informs our opinion of lily is through Veronica's perspective. Like there are things that are, you know, first, firsthand accounts, like there are videos and stuff, but a lot of the interaction that we see is through Veronica's memory. And so we get a lot of, I don't know, it, 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 you can tell it's skewed as you're watching it and you're like, yeah, but what was really happening? We see what you're choosing to remember and what you're nostalgic for and what you loved about her. But what is the side that we're not necessarily seeing? And that's where, you know, the videos come in to kind of, I think, provide a little bit of counterbalance. But still, 
our our perception of Lily is very, very skewed through Veronica's eyes. Yeah, there's an interesting tension between how Veronica wants to remember Lily and how Lily actually was, because I really like Lily is is not a great person. She was a good friend to Veronica. She certainly doesn't deserve what happens to her, but she's not really nice. She's She does things that she has to know are, are morally wrong and probably a terrible idea and are going to cause all kinds of fallout. She's uh, She can be cavalier and cruel uh, in, in a normal teenage girl way. And I just like that Lily wasn't some perfect angel that was you know frozen in amber and looked back on through a, a gauzy filter. She was a person with, with flaws and, and damage just like everybody else on the show. Yeah. I, I especially like how as the sh- show goes on you like see more and more and you start to understand that she could be described as sexually promiscuous but the show never like uh, turns on her it never because you're seeing it through veronica's eyes who has so much love for her and so you never get the moment where it's like oh well like um how dare she do those things and like even like perhaps she brought it upon herself because of some of the choices she made like the show does not paint her in that way and I think that's a a really nice thing that it does is it allows her to have made mistakes and to have complexity without ever victim blaming I really love the scene in a fairly early episode where they're doing the memorial for Lily and Logan has all has been given all of these like videos of Lily as a little kid and Veronica presents him with the videotapes that are like from the last six months of her life that show her as she really was including all the rough edges and they they a moment that I keep thinking should have been there should have been more of them but because of the weird relationship that Veronica and Logan have they don't really spend as much time on it it's like she's her best friend he's her boyfriend they should both really I mean, they're both damaged, but they're not damaged and leaning on each other for support, I guess, is the way I describe it. But in that moment, even though he's been mean to her and hates her and and she hates him because he's been so mean to her, like, she's not just helping him out. She and he are both trying to, like, help out their dead friend. And it's a really great moment that 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 happens when she loans the, the tapes and then they do the, the dedication and the mom is reading her ponderous speech and then the video comes up and, and uh, it sort of like has a needle scratch almost <laughs> from uh, childhood Lily to the Lily everybody remembers and that's when all the high school kids start clapping. It's super corny and yet I really appreciated it as a commentary on like the whitewashed kind of memorial stuff versus who the real person was. And that's Logan and Veronica who remember who she really was. And it's also kind of a commentary, I think, on how how we remember people or how we choose to see people even when they're alive, like, or, or even choose to talk about them, right? Like, it's not like um, Lily's parents were going to meetings and being like, well, you know, our daughter really likes wearing very revealing dresses and and you know arguing with us <laughs> and uh, you know but instead it's like no she was really pious and angelic and it's kind of like okay if if that brings you comfort that's that's okay there's also that great scene the penultimate scene of the series uh, of the season where veronica dreams that she and lily are floating in a pool together a pool filled with lilies yep and you know and it makes it clear what you didn't really realize right up until that moment is that everything veronica was doing all her efforts to try and find lily's killer uh all boiled down to Veronica desperately, desperately wanting things to go back to the way they were. And Lily gets to deliver that great final gut punch of, it doesn't matter that you've you found out who killed me, things are still never going to be the same and I'm still gone. I want to talk a little bit about other, uh, sort of the, the second and third season, just to at least sort of say where the show show went. Again, we're not going to talk about what happens in the, in the fourth season. Um, but uh, before we do that, I, I had a uh, an overarching note and then we can talk about sort of how the arc resolves in season one my overarching note is wow 22 episodes is a lot (laughs) i i I, in in the intervening 15 years i have completely lost the ability to comprehend what a traditional tv show is that has 22 episodes in a season and this is a show that is very modern in some ways in that it is telling the story of lily's murder and the ramifications and 
and the detective who is going to doggedly chase down every lead and solve the murder. But today that would be an eight episode Hulu series that was just about that. And with 22 episodes on one level, it's kind of refreshing on another level. It's just kind of mind blowing, maybe even a little exhausting that that plot is very slow to emerge until the last three or four episodes. And instead we get to know Veronica. This is the thing I like about it as she has uh, like the the crime of the week that she has to solve. She ends up having a lot of people come to her at the high school and say, I hear you could solve my problem. And the, the story advances, the overall story advances a very small amount in most episodes, but she also solves some other mystery that's out there. And it, it, it actually, the show that I watched recently that it reminded me of is Sex Education, which is a very similar thing where it's sort of like high school students have their own economy where they have their own therapists and their own detectives and they solve their own crimes. Um, but they wouldn't do this show now, but I, but I think it's still kind of charming that, that would, that, and there are advantages to getting to know Veronica's world and Veronica's friends and all of that while watching her just sort of solve some mysteries instead of having the whole story be, um, be about the Lily Kane murder case. That said, there's so much of it because there's 22. I, I, I would have liked 13 episodes maybe where she solves some crimes and, and solves the uh, overarching plot. I don't want eight hours where all she does is solve the plot, but I'm not sure uh, my modern sensibilities can handle 15 different crime of the week plots. I love it. I, um, <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I love it's it. a leisurely pace. I'll, I'll put yeah, it that way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it is because, you know, the, the character development component is so strong and we get to know not just Veronica, but her environment and her, um, some of her teachers, well, the vice principal really. <laughs> and I, I like that about it. And I feel like it happened later, but it, it kind of lessened in seasons two and three where it was, I don't know, where it didn't feel as, as episodic, I guess, where, um, as season one did. But I also think part of that is just because it's such a limited supply, right? We only have, up until very recently, three seasons in a movie. So it's like, yeah, I can go along with this because I know it'll end. Like if it had been supernatural and it had gone on for literally ever, I don't know that I would appreciate it as much as I do. But this way it doesn't feel so bad when I reach the end because it's like, well, I guess I got 22 episodes of the season instead of, you know, um, eight. All right. Um, so the end of this season, the end of season one is... It, it things I just said everything is slow. Things happen a lot faster than I remember. The last two episodes are really the big two episodes, and so much of what I remember is the climax happens in the last half of the last episode of season one. But it is it is really good in the sense that it is giving you the the noir detective ending that you want, which is everything's really messed up and Veronica is put in peril. Uh, her plans don't go right. Uh, I can't I can't see Harry Hamlin at all and not be creeped out because uh, that this character has stuck with me as as the the murderer it turns out harry hamlin who is playing uh logan's dad uh he was in a sexual relationship with lily kane this is lily kane's secret that she told to veronica but didn't reveal and uh she stole she found out that he was recording their uh their sexual encounters and she steals the tapes and he freaks out and goes to her house demands the tapes and then in a fit of rage hits her with a big marble thing and uh, kills her and in the final episode he uh veronica figures out where the tapes are and finds them and he has been watching her and uh hides in the backseat of her car which i thought watching it i was like how does he know she's gonna go to her car like what if she goes to the police and he's just sitting in the back seat of her car the whole time that wouldn't be so good but it's such a great moment where the lights come up a little bit and you see that harry hamlin is lurking in the back of her car and they she she checks her seatbelt and crashes her car to try and hurt him so she can get away but he 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 chases her and he blocks her in a uh, a refrigerator and sets it on fire and Keith finds her just in time and he gets burned but he saves her life and he, Harry Hamlin ends up getting hit by a truck out in the middle of the street because he's not paying a attention. It is Thomas flower delivery truck with a giant picture of a lily on the side. It is 
it, it's a it's 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 great. It's amazing. It's quite quite a heightened uh, ending. Um, and of course it ends on a cliffhanger because it's like who comes to her door at the end, but I really enjoyed it. I, I had forgotten just how great the last couple of episodes are at finally, uh, ratcheting up the tension and getting us to, a uh, to an end game. But also Veronica Mars would have checked her backseat. Everything her think. father taught her would have led her to checking her backseat before she got in the car. That's my big, like, I like the whole thing, but every time I watch the last couple of episodes and I see that happen, I'm like, no, she w- she would be the type of girl who checks her backseat before she gets in the car. Yeah, or just has her dad come over. <laughs> or that, yeah. Right, they're so, the, I also like the, the thing that, that I noticed this time is uh, Veronica and Logan agree that she's going to go take the tapes to her dad and he's going to watch Harry Hamlin. But at no point do they get eyes on Harry Hamlin and then she can leave. Instead, they just agree and then he calls her and he's like, oh, Veronica, I can't find him. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> That's because he's in the backseat and he's going to kill her. Uh, good job. There's a reason why they call Duncan Donut. Uh, you're right. Not Logan. It's Duncan. It's Duncan. It's the Duncan. Uh, we get the fake out where Duncan thinks that he killed her, but it's because he was having, he found her and then he had an emotional, yeah, his, his, whatever his problem is, he had a blackout and a rage attack or whatever it was. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I can't see Harry Hamlin now. <laughs> Yeah, I, f- I forgot how much the show loves to put Veronica in intense physical danger at the oh, climax yeah. of seasons. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is this is because like for most of the season, like she's occasionally in danger, but not never really, truly. Right. But then you're like, this is this is full on. This is very scary. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like an appropriate uh, climax to a story like this. But you're right. It is. Su- it is super scary. And, uh, you know, dad comes to the rescue to a certain extent, uh, which is which is great. And he and so dad gets to have the fight with the with with the murderer, which is is uh, pretty great. But yeah, it's it's intense. It really is. It's great. I tell people about this show all the time because I and I always express that I'm like the whole show is good. But I season one is just not perfect, but near perfect television in so many ways because it's like it's all culminating towards the climax so effectively because like obviously they they knew they had like the whole story plotted out for the first season and so everything is leading to that and it's such a satisfying end to this whole storyline i think and there are some tv shows that you know they want you to know that they are going to go big and daring and spectacular and they kind of telegraph it and they revel in it and they play it up. And Rob Thomas's shows, both Veronica Mars and I zombie, they give you no warning. They just, they're, they're unassuming, they're quiet, they're low key. And then out of nowhere, they go from zero to 11, uh, like in the finale here. And it's one of the things I really like about the show, the way it kind of lulls you into thinking to, to setting your expectations at a kind of slightly above medium and then spiking to highs that you didn't see coming and never making a big deal out of it. Okay. We need to talk about a trip to the dentist only because I, in a larger case, one of the other things that happens in this show is dealing with, um, with in Veronica's case, a, uh, her, she's investigating her own rape in season one, which has a weird resolution, which is, it turns out that she was drugged and her boyfriend was drugged and they had sex with each other. Um, which is a weird kind of a weird cop out to that episode, but it is a great, I think episode where Veronica is basically going back and confronting everybody who was there at the party uh, when she was given a date rape drug and who many of whom knew saw her and did nothing um, I, that, that I thought was really impressive, but this show in general um does not shy away from sexual violence of women that that is a thing that keeps coming up in the show and not in a not in an entertainment way in a judging way of how the women characters are treated there's an episode in the season in which one of the salient details is revenge porn and that like before that was really a like phrase very very early adopter of that that idea i guess yeah. um like they 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 all on flip phones and that they still have this concept because it's like 
yeah, as soon as that was available, I'm sure it was a thing somewhere. And even though tons of people weren't talking about it yet, this show took that on head on. There's also the whole episode where Veronica um, slut shames a, a woman to defend a guy who turns out to be an active sexual predator, uh, which is <laughs> and she she realizes it and she teams up with the, the girl to, to bring the guy to justice. But it's still it's an interesting that uh, you they would never do that in today's politics with good reason. I I don't know that I agree that that wouldn't wouldn't happen today. Um, Slut shaming is still very, very, very much a thing. Um, Also, there's in later seasons, we do find out that there's more that happened that night than was found out. Like there were some lies told when she was interrogating people, but um, it feels like when that reveal happens. It doesn't really feel like something they planned for. It was just kind of like, oh, and by the way, here's this thing. It, I, I thought it was it was kind of weird. But um, one of the things, one of the reasons I think I like the show so much is that Veronica and Keith are so unflinching about finding the truth. Um, and I think that the episode where Veronica is going around confronting everybody is really emblematic of that. Now, they don't shy away from hiding things from one another, which is irritating and frustrating. But um, but I really I appreciate that because so much of of what we see in a lot of television is like people hiding from things or people shying away from things. And instead, it, this is just like um, when when a confrontation needs to happen. OK, that confrontation is going to happen. There's no like, well, how do I handle this? It just it it's going to happen. And I like that. I appreciate that. Just on the level of this being the second to last episode, I think it was, um, yeah. is a, of a TV show is also very interesting, of the season, I mean, because through this process, she is going back and interrogating like every one-off character from the season <laughs> right. who's, a, who's a student at her school. So she, she has like all the like secondary characters you've seen over and over again but also like this person that he but that she busted in season four in this or in episode four and this person that she helped out in episode six and she's like going back to all of them and you're like oh i remember that random white guy yeah yeah oh yeah he's he turns out he's uh relevant in some way uh yeah you're, you're right by the way that they, this gets uh sort of retconned later um and that's part of while I was watching, I was like, I think there's more to this story, and there there is. It's in season two, but it wasn't really thought of at the time. The the writers thought of it later. But yeah. um, what uh, my wife says is, there's a children's book about some so and so's trip to the dentist, and she says every time she sees it, she's like, oh boy. <laughs> Thanks, Veronica Mars. You've ruined the phrase "trip to the dentist" from now on. Um, and the actual trip to the dentist is that there's the girl who spits in people's drinks before she gives it to them because she likes to do that that's the trip to the dentist but it turns out that drink had the date rape drug in it yeah anyway so season two and three um not going to go into it at that level of detail but we should mention it season season two has a bunch of different stuff there's a bus accident there's uh there's a baseball star uh there's there is uh more sexual violence that happens in it as well um there is oh by the way in a bit of uh i think uh, oj parallel i think they were trying to go at harry hamlin doesn't gets acquitted <laughs> so after all of that he he gets acquitted um but uh and then season three is sort of the college season and we get a few new characters and there's another ongoing uh mystery there's a there's a serial rapist and then there's a murder as well they generally thought not, not that neither of them really measure up to season one, and I would agree with that. I liked the show and the characters so much that I was happy to go along with it. Season one is kind of a hard act to follow, and then season two, they try really hard to follow it. Season three, I feel like in some ways, is better for not trying quite as hard to be season one, but it does suffer from the same things that Buffy suffered from when they went to college, which is like, oh, we didn't really build a show for this, so how are we going to change it around? If you've got any quick thoughts about sort of the other two seasons of of the uh, the original Veronica Mars, now would be a good time to get those feelings out. Season three is very much like Christina, Christina said in Slack, she, talking about Logan and how Veronica deserved so much better. And season three is like, yes. This is she deserved so much better because that whole relationship dynamic is just weird 
uh, through, I mean, throughout the series, but season three, especially is just like, okay, what, what are you doing? And I'm not sure that the writers knew what they were doing with those two characters in even the broadest sense. And from episode to episode, it felt so random and weird. Like, are they going to fight this time? Are they going to be okay this time? Are they going to understand each other? Are they actually going to communicate? Like, what the heck is going to happen? And I just, it, it was just really, really, like the relationship stuff in season three was really weird. I do like that season three has that one episode where there's a 12-year-old girl who ships Veronica and Logan super hard, yeah. even though the show is making it obvious that they are not right for each other. <laughs> I still think of that episode and that girl every time I hear that song that she plays on the radio for them, where it's like, you can have what's left of me is one of the lines. And every I just hear that song in random places now. And I'm like, oh, that's that song that girl put on the radio for Logan. <laughs> I'd also just like to note that this show has an amazing guest cast of, you know, oh, hey, it's that person. Uh, Jessica Chastain shows up, Aaron Paul, Tessa Thompson, Kristen Ritter. There's an episode with Michael Sarah and Alia Shawkat doing something very different from being on Arrested Development. <laughs> There's just a ton of, of cool people in places that you wouldn't expect. Yeah, I agree. I was surprised by... Um like uh paula marshall who i love is in this kyle secor who from homicide is uh the is the dad uh from the kane empire um who is uh not the killer although he's the jake kane he's the sort of the prime suspect for veronica for a long time but it's it, it, it's uh just so many different characters including a bunch of actors that you go who went on to be very famous um i laugh jane lynch plays a character that is very 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 close to the character she plays in glee um there are just a bunch of uh of people you see that you uh uh, Jessica Chastain is in an episode as well. So there's, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of, uh, before you knew who they were actors in this show for sure. And I just really briefly wanted to shout out Tina Majorino, who is wonderful. I think she might've been one of the youngest cast members. She feels like a teenager more than any of the other cast members do to me. And she's just brings such a natural charm and, and sunniness and, and yet she gets some interesting, complex material to play and does a great job with it. And apparently Rob Thomas had wanted to cast her in the show ever since he met her when she was a young teen or tween doing a book report on him for school because she really liked one of the books that he'd written. <laughs> well, that's adorable. Any other thoughts about... Uh... Just really quickly about stuff you want to call out in season two, season three, or should we uh, leave it? You'll never look at Steve Gutenberg the same way again. <laughs> He's really good. The um the 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 San Diego stuff. I had a friend who who uh, said that he didn't count Veronica Mars as a San Diego show because it's set in a fictional uh, fictional uh, San Diego. That's uh, Neptune. Neptune is kind of La Jolla. It's it's basically it, it is very clearly in or adjacent to San Diego. Maybe it's you know I don't know del mar or something like that but it is it is very clearly a san diego thing they go see san diego sites all the time and uh so i i, I definitely as somebody who went to college in san diego i i definitely recognize san diego in this and they they don't shy away from it as much uh and they use uh they use the the ballpark i think is it are they using jack murphy stadium for the ballpark shots anyway it, it made me it made me laugh because there's there's a lot of san diego in this especially in season two where there's the whole baseball plot and Steve Gutenberg. Except it seems to be like they keep talking about how it's, I don't know, two or three hours from L.A., but it seems like they just keep taking little jaunts up to L.A. in, there you is, know, like, oh, evening. There, when she goes up to find the daughter of the guy who's taken the fall for Lily's murder, she's at Loyola Marymount. She's like, great. And she just picks up her keys and heads out the door. And I'm like, that's two hours, Veronica. Yeah. It's already dark. What are you doing? But again, they they, they they're there's no traffic in this world clearly it's very easy to get to la to to the north side of la from san diego county on the drop of a hat in season three i just want to give a shout out to piz who's uh, yeah veronica's new love interest um late in the game and he was fine I, I never had really any strong feelings about him i was like okay but it was weird that he ended up kind of being like not the final final because they then they eventually like kept making more Veronica Mars content. But the end of season three, the, I th are they together at the end of yeah, season three? They're, they're, uh, I, I think, in fact, in the movie, which is yeah. which is from 2014, which is the I like to it is literally Veronica Mars, the high school reunion. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And it's it 
look, it it is fan service. It's it's doing what you want, I suppose, as a fan, which is to show where are they now, kind of a thing. But in that, uh, that movie starts with her um, going home to Neptune from New York, where she is living with Piz. So that's the that that implication there is that they were together for that whole uh, span of time. Well, I do remember in the movie, yeah, they say that they broke up and then they got yep. back together later. And I'm like, at least they gave oh, us that okay. because it was very unrealistic. You're right. They were together that entire it's, time. It, does, like, yeah, okay, it does seem that way, fine. right? But but any law of conservation of characters, there's no other other person she should be in a relationship with. It could only be from a very small collection of characters. So it's Piz. Let's say, let's say it's Piz. Sure. Yeah, it's weird because it's like, yeah, they got together in high school and then they- Or college. They- yeah, that's what I meant. They got together in college and then they broke up and then they got together like a year before the movie yes. starts and she still has never met his parents. And I'm like, it's weird. Okay. okay. That's a thing, I guess. Yeah. The people are with the Hulu series. People are like, well, what should I watch? Do I need to watch the show? Do I need to watch the, the movie? It's like the movie is as non-essential as it gets. Um. I enjoyed yeah. it because it was like a nostalgia trip. I think what's interesting of what I've read, and I, I know some of you have seen it, we're not going to talk about it, but what, from what I've read about season four, you know, it is an attempt to do something new and present with that setting. The movie is not. <laughs> the movie is, hey, remember that show you liked? <laughs> Here are all those characters. I will say that I love the final scene and especially the final line of the movie. I, to me, they're killer. The final line, I'm, I'm, my name is Veronica Mars and I'm an addict. And that says so much about the character and, <laughs> and takes her to an interesting place. Uh, I liked the movie. I backed the Kickstarter the second it was announced. Yeah, so too. I am not unbiased here. Me too. It's just, it, it, it struck me that it was when you Kickstarter back a movie that's a reunion of a TV show, I feel like, and, and Rob Thomas has said, there's pressure to give the fans what they want right and so if it had been like oh you're not going to see most of the characters we're going to tell you a different story it's like mm, no we're going to try to we're going to show you all the characters <laughs> that's what this is going to be we're, we're going to literally set it at a high school reunion that's what we're going to do but uh but yeah it, it's you know for a for a lowly rated <laughs> uh teen detective show that ran on a network nobody knew existed for three years and was almost canceled every time uh, it is amazing the footprint that this show has has continued to get. It did get the motion picture Kickstarter. It did get a fourth series on uh, or season on Hulu with possibly more to come. It did uh, help jumpstart uh, Kristen Bell's career. Uh, it's just it's remarkable that that uh, and I, I I think back to that time and I think well you watch that first season and you're like no there's really something here. I kind of feel like. We said this about Buffy, right? We said that it, Tumblr would have loved it. Um, I feel that way about Veronica Mars a little bit. Like it's got all the pieces where if it had been 10 years later, you know, I think it would have been, I think it would have blown up in a, in a way that it couldn't when it was just kind of like hiding out on the, on uh, the WB. Oh my God. I think it would have had an expanse moment where, you know, when, when the expanse was canceled and the fans were like, Nope. And has happened with some other shows more recently. I think that that totally would have happened with Veronica Mars. I wanted to mention something very briefly, a little bit off topic, which, but I just wanted to say that, um, I feel like the show holds up surprisingly well, even considering like the difference in technology, but there was one moment, <laughs> um, in which Keith, like very seriously explains to them what a webcam is. And it really made me laugh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Can we talk about how she had a sidekick and I wanted a sidekick for so long and it was only available on T-Mobile so I couldn't get it but she had the coolest phone. She did um in she bugged Vinnie Van Lowe's office with a with a a video that she could a video camera that she could stream. So there was there was definitely low tech. It 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 shows you that this is a show that was made after Buffy because Buffy they didn't get cell phones until the last season, which really helped the plot, by the way, <laughs> if you can't communicate with your friends, whereas Veronica Mars is a little more advanced than that. But they've got like Internet video is just kind of starting and it's just kind of very basic. But it's it's kind of adorable, you know, to watch all the all the old tech on the show. But they have cell phones. So there's there's, you know, at least some of this. Some of these scenarios are not as uh, outrageous looking back because 
they do have a version of our technology. It's just an old version. It's a fantastic show. If you haven't seen it, I'm sorry that we've we've spoiled large chunks <laughs> of it, but uh, its pleasures are many and uh, and frequent and awesome. And if you haven't given the show a shot and you like noir, private eye, mysteries, or even just teen drama, give it a shot. Yeah. Even though we spoiled the big end of the first season, there's a ton more in this show we have not even brushed past. So definitely still watch it, even if you just spoiled yourself. Yeah. It's 15 years on. I think that you will not lose much enjoyment in, in knowing the you know that one particular resolution, especially because there is so much more. And yeah, I hope people who don't remember it (laughs) go back and watch it again because it was a blast to revisit it and if you never saw it and are wondering uh it's totally worth going back one of the great advantages of it getting bought and put back on by hulu with a new season is that they are also showing the first three seasons so you can get you can get them on itunes and stuff like that but you can also if you sign up for hulu you can just you can watch all three seasons of the original veronica mars and uh it's great it's a lot of fun it's it's one of those kind of hidden gems it was we were all in the cult back then nobody would listen to us nobody would believe us that this was a great show um so listen to us now i am not a crackpot that's what I'm saying. And the best part is you don't have to watch UPN. I mean, Hulu is, I guess, sort of like the UPN of streaming services, but not, <laughs> not quite as bad. Not quite as bad. Not quite as bad. All right. Or UPN or, uh, or, uh, or the WB or no, or the CW, because it was, it was actually present at the crossover there, along with Supernatural, a show that's still on the air. I'll just say that again, still on the air. Yeah, it's hard to believe. All right. Well, I feel like we have done justice to a show that was on the air 15 years ago and uh, people watch it and like it. They can check out that revival on Hulu that some people like and some people don't like, but we're not going to talk about it. We're going to instead just thank our guests for being here to talk about that spunky, damaged, blonde, small noir detective who lives in Neptune, California, Veronica Mars. Ah, so great to revisit her life. Aline Sims, thanks for being here. We used to be friends, Jason, but it was a long time ago. Yeah, I haven't thought of you lately at all. Nathan Alderman, thank you. I think on the spectrum of Duncan to Logan, I'm a solid backup. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, you could have you gone for Piz. Uh, Quinn Rose, thank you. Hey, Jason, do me a favor. <laughs> thank you for having me on. <laughs> uh, and everybody out there, don't take a trip to the dentist, whatever you do. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Incomparable. We will see you next week. 